0: All right, Let's jump right into the Word. Get out your Bibles, your sermon notes. You're going to need them today. We're on our series called Core Strength. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Yeah! Come on, somebody. We're happy about the Bible. Matthew chapter 10, core strength. Core strength, our value. We've been talking about building a culture and we realize that building a culture, you can only build on certain values. So we are, We're establishing certain values and And these are the 10 values that I felt like God put on my heart that we wanted to build. If we was to build a church, then we're going to build on these 10 core values. There could be 100 values and there may be things that you think are very important that's not on the list that that God's speaking to me. But it just means we had to narrow it down to something uh, that we could digest a little bit. So we made it down to 10 things that we would build the church on. Number First, when we talked about we want to be with him, his presence means everything. We want to be about who he is, seeking the presence of God in your own life, relationship, not just information, we talked about that. Then we did, we do life together, relationships make us stronger, talk about ways to get plugged into the church and we give you opportunities to get connected. Three ways that we offer our gatherings to attend our services, we encourage you, come, as much as you can on Sundays and Wednesdays and get connected with people in our gatherings to attend. But don't stop there. The next step, gatherings to serve. We want you to be a part of serving, helping someone else. It's not just about me receiving in the body of Christ. It's me contributing. I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor also. And so that's the dream team. Get involved in serving somewhere. And then lastly, the gatherings to belong. Get in our connect groups. Gatherings to get to know people and connect with people. One day in staff prayer, uh, Becky Rutledge had a, a vision. And she had a vision of Mount Everest. And she said it had different levels. And she saw people climbing up to little platforms. And they were reaching down and pulling other people up onto the platform. And that's the picture we get when we're talking about connect groups. That we're helping through relationships help everyone up the mountain and help picking each other up. So we want to be a part of that. Last week, we talked about pulling on the leash. We pull on the leash, big faith, big risk for a big God. I said, I'd like to go two more weeks on pulling on the leash. They said, no, just one at a time until we get done. But I, I just thank God for what he's speaking to us. We're not of those who draw back through fear and timidity, but we're those who go for it. Amen. We pull on the leash. So then today, we live generously. Freely we receive, freely give. Here we go. Look in Matthew chapter 10. Start reading there in verse 1, and when he had called his his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power, everybody say power, Power. he gave them power over unclean spirits to call them out, to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus. Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, everybody say go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he said, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say this. And then next verse, he says, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus gave them power. That word power in the first verse is the word exousia, which means authority. I give you authority. That means Jurisdiction. It gives you the authority to do something over all of these things, to heal all kinds of diseases and all kinds of sickness. He gave them that, to cast out demons. And so then in verse 7, it comes down. He says, now, I want you to go out and I want you to say this, the kingdom of heaven is hand, and then I want you to do this. So verse 1, I call it, because he says, freely you receive, freely give. So verse 1, I call it the receiving step. And then you jump down to verse 8, I call it the giving step. God wants us to receive... And then he wants us to give. And this is what I'm talking about, us being generous and building a generous culture. We want to do both. So the first one, freely receive. That word receive is a Greek word that means to grab, to seize, to take hold of. It is an action word. It's an aggressive word. Lambano. it means when you receive something, you grab it for yourself. You take it so freely. The freely means it's no cost to you. It not cost you anything. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Freely receive, freely take, freely grab hold of So the first principle in this core value that we want is we want to be generous receivers. You're like, wait a minute. Hey, listen, you got to be a generous receiver before you can be a generous giver. Because if we won't freely receive, we won't have anything to give. So he says freely receive. So we want to build a culture where we're not afraid to receive to grab hold of everything Jesus died to give us. Don't apologize for going for everything Jesus died to give you. Don't feel embarrassed about pressing and pulling on the leash and say, God, everything you have for me, I want it in my life. That's a generous receiver. Why do we need to be a generous receiver? Because if I will not receive, then I will not be able to give. Freely receive. We want to build that culture. We be free receivers, freely to grab hold of. We've got to get it. If you won't receive forgiveness, if you won't generously receive forgiveness, you won't give forgiveness. If you won't generously receive love, you won't give love. If you won't generously receive mercy, you won't show mercy to other people. Some people are so hard on themselves. I know it's not you, but the other people, they're hard on themselves. They won't forgive themselves. And they think that's okay. But the problem is, the Bible says, love your neighbor as So if I won't forgive myself, if I won't love myself, guess what I'm going to carry over to you? That if I'm hard on myself and I think that's a good quality, I'll be hard on you. And the Bible says the same measure that you use for others will be measured back to you. So he's talking about judgment there. He's talking about what I show others should be what I want shown back to me. And I've been given unending mercy and grace and favor from God, so I need to release that to others. But if you won't receive it for yourself, you won't show it to somebody else. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. So now you'll look at everybody else and you'll say, they don't deserve it either. They're worse than me. <laughs> if I don't deserve it, they sure don't deserve it. So we got to freely receive, freely receive. Then the next thing we want to do is freely give. Here's what that word give means. It means to cause to happen, to make or produce something. Freely give at no cost to them. Cost them nothing. Freely give. So the word is used like of a seed giving fruit or producing fruit. So God wants us to freely receive so that we can go out and we can freely give. In other words, he wants us to produce results with what we receive. He's not asking you and I just to receive information so that we get fat heads with great knowledge. He wants us to go out and produce some results with what we receive. Freely give. Go out and produce some results. You say you believe this, then go show it. He said, hey, disciples, I'm going to freely give you authority to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. So now in verse 8, he says, shoo, now go do it. Go produce results with what I've given you. Oh, I, I just thought that was a good theory. I thought that was just a good amen point in the sermon. He said, no, I want you to go produce results. So this is what it means by freely give. I want to build a culture where we go out and our desire is to produce results with what Jesus has told us. I don't want us just to have a better sermon. I want us to have better actions. Before we do it. We do it. We do what he's called us to do. We produce results. So we want to give generously. We want to give generously in all areas. But specifically for this core value, I'm going to talk about Finances. The reason I'm going to talk about finances is because when I looked at the core values and the things that I thought are important, if God was to give me, and I believe that's what he's done in, in putting me in a position of pastoral leadership, but if he'd give me a disciple, a raw believer, and he said, Chad, now I want you to take them under your wing and I want you to teach them the kingdom. One area that I would teach them is biblical financial wisdom. I would teach them that. Because, see, finances are probably the most common problem in a church body. We all got issues, we all got issues, but money is probably the most common issue that people deal with. You don't have to amen me. I've pastored people for a while. I know what people deal with. So money is the common problem, but the problem is it's probably the least talked about subject in church. Most common problem, least talked about. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't want us to know what the Bible says about finances. He says things like this, you don't need to talk about that in church, it's not about So it's like if I have a problem with forgiveness, I go to the Bible. If I have a problem in my emotions, I go to the Bible. If I have a problem in my spiritual life, I go to the Bible. If I have a problem in my physical body, I go to the Bible. If I have a problem in my finances, I just keep that to myself. No, we got to go to the Bible. So this is what we're going to talk about, being generous and how we give in our finances. Now, how you present the message, I, I understand. Sometimes it's been abused in churches. But I'm not going to apologize for it because I know what it's done in my life. So I'm just going to give it to you to try and help you. What you do with it is up to you. But I'm going to give you an opportunity because I, I think God has a way that he wants us to teach it. I'm going to try and do the best I can. Proverbs 11.25. Here's what it says. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also himself be watered. Now, don't get nervous about the word rich in church because rich is a relative term. The generous soul will be made what? Will be made rich. The Bible says that. It says, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So I want to be a generous person so I can be rich. Now define rich. When I, was, when I first graduated from college and I got my first job and I made $28,000 a year, I thought I was rich. <laughs> I did. I, I remember asking myself, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> I got nothing but cash. 28000 a year. I'm like calculating that per week. I'm like, man, what am I going to do with all this money? Until I learned that my boss made $45,000 a year. I'm like, what? Man, no wonder they're loaded. Then I found out that my boss's boss made $72,000 a year. You got to be kidding me. Who has that kind of money? And then I found out that my boss's boss's boss made $120,000 a year. And I thought, I can't stand it. What would anyone do with that amount of money? And then (laughs) I found out that the basketball coach of the university that I was employed at made (laughs) $500,000. Rich is relative. Some of you are so rich, you don't even know it, you don't even know it, I've been to places where you are swimming in money compared to them, rich is relative, don't be afraid of rich, what we can control is our heart and generosity with what we have, let's be generous with what we have, Uh, another verse, Proverbs 22, 9 says, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, you got to have a generous eye, you got to have a generous eye, not a stingy eye, A generous eye will be blessed for he gives his bread to the poor. Here's what generous means in Webster. Liberal in giving. Open-handed. A generous benefactor marked by abundance, ample proportion. So we want to live generously. We want to have an open hand. Sometimes God's got to pry some of your hands open. Not you, other people. He has to pry their hand open to get them to give. But this is the kind of life we want to live. We want to freely receive from God, but we want to freely give. Some people are great at receiving but they kind of start bottlenecking when it starts to the giving. Lord, I want blessings in my life. Okay, give this away. Get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> well, the rich young ruler had a problem, right? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? I've done all of these other things. I do all, I honor you in every area of my life. And Jesus said, that's awesome. Go away and give everything you have to the poor. Say what, Jesus. <laughs> I have trouble in this ear. Can you tell me again? Give away everything you have. Why? Because he knew there was an area in his life that the rich young ruler had not honored God. He knew there was an area. It wasn't about possessions or evil. He just knew in his own life that that person had an individual problem, that they had had, uh, uh, capsulized an area that was just theirs. They gave God all the other areas, but they didn't give him that area. So that's why we're talking about it today, because I believe some people have the same issue. But God wants us to talk about generosity. And I believe biblical generosity starts with the tithe. Now, when I talk about the tithe, I want you to listen today that the tithe, giving to God generously is about an invitation. It's not a command. See, some people have browbeaten people into things, and that's why they're a little bit burnt on giving in the church. But I'm telling you, I'm going to speak to you about an invitation that God's wanting to invite you to participate financial freedom. The only reason I speak so confidently about this is because God showed me this in my life and it's totally changed my life. And so I want to speak to you about it from a biblical standpoint. It's an invitation to you. It's not a command. In in every principle of God, we can either focus on the command or we can focus, focus on the blessing that's attached to the command. If we just focus on the command itself, we will only think about the cost and the sacrifice. But if I will think about the blessing attached to the, to the command, then I will operate in and function in what God's going to do instead of what I have to give up. But this is what we mean with the tithe. That's where, where things start. Where did the tithe begin? Principle of the tithe. It started really in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, when God said, I'll give you all these trees except that one. That one's mine. So you can have all that except that one. That's when God first started saying, there's a certain amount of your possessions that belongs to me that you're not supposed to touch. There's a certain amount of things that I've given you access to that you're supposed to return to me and keep your grimy mitts off of. There's certain things that I want you to eat and there's certain things I don't want you to eat. And this is what he was talking about with, with the tree and the tithe. Genesis 28, Jacob made a vow. This is 400 years. So when someone says, ah, that tithe is just about the law. It's, this is 400 years before the law of Moses where he says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. It's a biblical principle starting back with Jacob where he said, Of everything that you give me, I'm going to give you a tenth. That's the tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. I'm going to give it to God. Tenth, 10%. Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the Lord, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So who does the tithe belong to? It doesn't belong to Chad ever. I understand now that it belongs to the Lord. So of all that God's given me, I understand that the tenth belongs to him. It's not even mine. I I I can't even call it mine. It's his. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Again, the first fruit is the first portion of something that's been set aside and offered to God before the rest. We as a church, we as a church tithe. So every week that we receive tithes and offerings, we want to give the first fruits to God. So what happens is whenever we're counting the money, we take a tenth of whatever is received and we set it aside in a separate account. We call it the tithe account. So that at the end of the month, Then we give out of that account and we clear that account out and we give into other ministries and and other places that God's directed us. So we as a church, we tithe. The first fruits comes out first. Uh, It's not after the end of the month when we see what's left over. The first, right after that offering, we set aside 10%, we say, God, that belongs to you. That's first fruits. That's what first fruits means. That means that if I have someone gives me 10 $1 bills and they lay them in my hand, the first dollar bill that they gave me, that belongs to God. I started in this principle a few years ago, and, and I found this, found this to work for me, uh, first fruits also. Sometimes whenever I would get a raise, I would offer the first fruits of that raise to God. So let's say it, say it this way, like if uh, they said, okay, I'm going to raise you, I'm going to give you uh, $2 more an hour, $2 more an hour times 40, is was 80, $80. So that first week, I would give that whole $80, $80 to God. I was already living without it. So my first fruits offering was the first time that I got that raise on that check, that first 80 would go to God along with my tithe. And then after that, I just tithed on the rest, but that was first fruits to me just something that I've done in my life, and I've just found it to be a a benefit to honor to God first. uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 16 says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. When I give the first fruit to God, that is holy. That tithe is holy to God. It's his. And so if it's holy, then the lump is holy. So my lumps are holy. (laughs) When I honor God with the tithe, all my lumps are, are holy. But sometimes, again, we gotta, we got to figure this out. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Let me give you another one. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In the Bible, increase came by cattle or farming. But we honor the Lord with all of our increase. Your increase may come from teaching or coal mining, oil field, banking, retail, medical field, insurance agent, farming, dentistry, factory worker, secretary, whatever it may be, but we honor the Lord with all of our increase. Here's what I would teach that disciple that God give to me. I would say every bit of increase that comes into your life, God gets 10% of it. It doesn't say every bit of your net profit. It says every bit of your increase. So I've taught my kids this, that someone gives you a $20 bill, I say, how much of that's God's? Two dollars. So that's right. That's right. Well, I don't have any change. You get change. You get change. We have banks. They will give you change and you honor the Lord with that. See, in all my increase. You say, well, what's increase? I don't, you work that out with God, but I'm just telling you, the scripture tells you, if I will honor him with, with my possessions and the first fruits of all my increase... it's going to be a blessing in my life. Here's a story for you. Sometimes we have trouble with this, though, and I I walk through this. See, money's a test. If you won't pass the money test, you're going to have trouble uh, following God in greater obedience. Uh, Jesus, how much do I go there? Let me tell my story. Maybe this story will help you. See, there's this guy named John. We'll call him John. John came up to the pastor, and he said, Pastor, uh, I need you to pray for me. I'm having a little trouble. He said, Well, what, what seems to be the problem? I'm having trouble tithing. I said, well, what is that? He said, well, when I made $50 a week, my tithe was $5, and man, it was easy. But then then I started making $500 a week, and and my tithe was $50, and that was okay. But now, Pastor, I'm making $5,000 a week, and that $500 tithe is a lot of money. Could you pray for me? The pastor said, absolutely. Let's pray. Father, Would you please reduce John's income back down to $500 so that he can honor you? with the? John's like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Easy, preacher. See, why do we choke? Why do we choke on it? If we don't have any problem with the amount that God blesses us with, why do we choke with the amount we've got to give back to him? (laughs) See, if we'll pass the test on the little amount... And be faithful in the little, because some people disqualify themselves. They say, well, I don't make enough money to tithe. Do you make a dollar? If you make a dollar. I, when I first began to pass this test, was on an unemployment check. I was freshly married. I mean freshly. Like two months into it, I got laid off. Bless the Lord. <laughs> Oil field prices. 1997. 1998. 1998. And I I went to unemployment, first time and only time I ever drew unemployment in my life. And my my gross check was $260. $260. And the Lord said to me, are you still going to honor me? I'm like, well, Lord, this is unemployment. I'm freshly married. I got to take care of this woman you gave me. God kept speaking to my heart. And I said, Lord... Reason I, I get emotional because this is a big deal. I'm, I'm an accounting major, got a degree in accounting. I know money a little bit, and it was a big deal for me. I was a miser, I was a keeper. i not touch my money, it's mine, it's mine. I'm like Daffy Duck, it's mine. A, so, so, but God said, Will you honor me? I said, Lord, I'll honor you with the gross on my unemployment check $26. I give it to you. I'm telling you, that test that I passed helped me as I grew, as God keep providing for us miraculously. I don't know how. It wasn't like I got a huge check in the mail. Just somehow things kept going, and we made it. We made it. But see, the problem is, if the devil can't get you on too little, he'll be like John. He'll try and get you on too much. Because if you won't tithe on the $260, you won't tithe on $2,600. Well, if I had more money, I would tithe. That's a lie. That's a lie. And, And the problem is we're working on a generous heart. The amounts don't impress God. The principle of the tithe is not about how much you can give in amounts. God is not impressed by your amounts. He has all the money he needs. What he's looking for is our heart. He's looking for a heart. He says, will you honor me with your heart? Because the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so when you have $5,000 a week and you say, well, $500, that's too much to give to the church. Then God may say, well, $5,000 evidently is too much to give to you. We want to honor him with the tithe. It's a heart thing. It's not a mount thing. God's not impressed. What if your tithe is $20,000 a week? Are you going to say, well, that's too much money? Well, that means that you're getting $200,000 a week. Is that too much? Well, I don't mind that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just receive. Just receive. But here's, here's the power of the tithe Deuteronomy 26, verse 13. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. He calls it holy again. He said I've removed it from my house. I got it out of my house. I don't want it in my account. And I've given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning. In other words, I didn't get myself in a bind and start eating the tithe, spending it on myself. You say, well, I don't have enough money left over to tithe. Well, then we may need to reduce our expenses to free up the tithe. Jesus. See, I had had to look at some things. If I was going to become a tither and honor God with the first fruits of all my increase, I had to get rid of some expenses. I couldn't change my income. My income was what it was. My income was $260 unemployment. So I had to adjust my expense side to make room for that 26. I couldn't go to God and say, sorry, God. Got none left over, I had to make adjustments on my end to honor him with his end. This is what he's talking about. And some might say, wait a minute, You're talk- that's Old Testament. Let me tell you what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done. Jesus said, you ought to have tithe on your mint and on your rue and all your manner of herbs, but just don't leave the others undone. Jesus was confirming tithing, and Hebrews chapter 7 also confirms tithing in the New Testament, how here men receive tithes, but actually it's in heaven that they're actually receiving my tithe. This is why I don't bring my tithes to give to the church, I bring my tithes to give to God. I'm honoring God with my tithe, I'm worshiping Him with my tithe. I'm trusting Him with that. One other scripture we'll go to, that's a little more familiar for some, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. And again, I want you to see this not as the command, not as the the furrowed brow. I want you to read this with a blessing attached to it. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, this is God talking to them. They said, in what way have we robbed you, God? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Look what he says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Prove me now in this. God's inviting us. He says, hey, prove me. Try me now in this. Here's the promised part. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land," says the Lord of hosts. I want to concentrate on the blessing side of that and not get discouraged by the command side. I want to bring the tithe in and say, Lord, thank you. Here's the tithe. Praise you for who you are. I'm going to worship you in it. I'm going to be joyful about it, and I trust that you're going to do your part. You're going to rebuke the devourer for me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to supply all my needs. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to concentrate. He's going to do his part if I do my part. Generous heart. Freely give. It starts with the tithe. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is all about a culture of how we give. I want us to be generous because, again, some people have gotten discouraged because they think it's all about what God wants from them, and maybe some churches have preached it that way. Maybe some people have took advantage and, and manipulated. I don't know. That's why I don't make a big deal about saying, you better give, and I don't ever make any demands on it. I give you the opportunity if you want to participate, but I'll teach it from a biblical standpoint because I believe if you will participate in what God's inviting you into, you will see a difference in you. Your life, you'll see a difference in your life. We want to do it from a joyful standpoint. We want to create a culture where we are generous, because I want to create something in my in my heart that is ready to give to whatever God puts on my heart. That He wants me to sow into something, I want to give freely to that. I want to I want to do what He's calling me to do. I want to I want to sow into what He's dreaming about. Here's Second Corinthians, rather, chapter nine. Here's our attitude in giving. You ready? We're going to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Here's verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary. This is Paul exhorting a church about their giving. He said, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it might be ready as a matter of generosity. That word generosity means freely willing. God didn't have to pry it out of my cold, grubby hands. I came in freely to give it to him because it's from my heart. It's a matter of generosity and not grudging ab- obligation. You know what grudging obligation means? It means force or intimidation. You better give. That motivates me. That's not the, miss- that's not the message of God. He said, I want it to be a matter of generosity from you. God doesn't want to take things from us. He wants to receive what we lovingly give him. He wants it to be a relationship where he freely gives, I freely receive, and then I freely give out of what I've received. I don't want to be a free receiver and a reluctant giver. I want to be generous on both ends. And that's what he's talking about here. Let's read on. Because we want, we want a generous heart. Uh, I'll throw this out, the difference in the grudging obligation, greedy heart. Selfish, we want a greedy heart versus a generous heart. Those of you who have kids, did you have to teach them to be selfish or teach them to share? How many times did you tell your kids, you need to be a little more selfish? You're just always giving and giving and giving, sharing to everyone. Be a little more selfish. Come on. Nobody taught their kids that. We come out of the womb, mine, mine. Lucas, here's what Lucas does. He comes up with two toys. Daddy, you want to play with me? I say, sure, let's play. He comes up with two toys, one he really likes and one he doesn't like so much. And here's what the clever little three-year-old does. He says, Daddy, which one do you want to play with? I, being pretty smart, know which one he likes. I always pick the one he likes. I say, I want to play with that one. He looks at that one and goes, how about this one? (laughs) We're selfish by nature. Our our unredeemed nature is selfish. But when we're born again, God wants to give us a generous heart. So we don't have a selfish heart anymore. We should have a generous heart. That Now we have that favorite toy and we say, you play with this one. I'll take that one. That's a generous heart. This is what God's wanting us to have. He wants to give give to people, give to him out of generosity, not out of selfishness. Look at verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, reluctantly, limiting, will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully, an abundance, will also reap abundantly or bountifully. So this is telling us how, how we sow determines how we reap. And this is true in every area of our life every area of our life it is absolutely true and it's also true in our finances when i'm stingy with how i give generously then i will be uh, re- receiving limited as well and he's telling us don't be like that so bountifully so that each one gives as he purposes in his heart chooses for himself not grudgingly or of necessity it's not an obligation for god loves a what kind of giver cheerful giver Whenever I get an opportunity to sow into the kingdom and give to God, whether it's in tithes and offerings, I should be cheerful about it. Yeah. Not grudging, not of, of obligation. Here's what that means. Don't let grief attach to your giving. Here's what grieving giving does. Grieving giving regrets once you gave it. Grieving giving says you gave and then you go, wow, wow. I could have done a lot with that money. Because here's what will happen. Once you start giving to God, I remember this happened to me. And I'm not going to use these amounts as any type. I'm just using them for example. I remember when I got my giving statement at the end of the year. And the first time, first time I got a giving statement that I I saw it and it was like, I got $5,000. You know what the first voice to my head was? Boy, you sure could have used that $5,000 this year. That's a grieving giving. So I said, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you did in my life through that $5,000. So, Lord, here's my promise to you. I will increase that amount every single year. If that voice is going to talk to me, here's what I'm going to say back to him. I'm going to increase that amount every single year. My goal is to increase my percentage, not to give just the bare minimum of 10%. I want to increase that every year. I want to get to the place where I'm living on less and God's getting more. Oh, that's a generous heart. That's my goal. I'm not doing that to brag. I'm doing that to lead. I want to lead in giving. I don't want to tell anyone to do something I'm not doing. I want to lead as an example. Say, hey, let's have generous hearts. The devil, if you think that this hurts you a little bit that I gave this much, wait till next year. Wait till you see that statement. I'm going to surpass that. This is a willing heart. This is not grudgingly. Look at he it says. Look what happened. If we'll live this way, look at verse 8. See, sometimes we got to understand that God's wanting to bless you. i, I got to move on. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, always, always having all sufficiency... In all things, how, what kind of promise is that? That if I will honor God and be generous to him, he said, I'll make sure that you always have all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. Lord, I just praise you that if I'll be generous to you, you will make sure my family is taken care of. You'll take care of my five kids, my wife, their college, their four weddings, praise the Lord. <laughs> Jesus I received. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, I learned this principle, so now I'm not hoarding money for their provision. I'm giving money because I've learned God can get, can get to me more than what I can keep by hoarding. I'm not talking about I don't save. I do save, and I'm all for investing. I do all of that, but I'm, my greatest investment every year is in the kingdom of God. My greatest investment is not in my retirement. My greatest investment is the kingdom. Why? Because I believe my greatest return is going to come from that investment. And this is what he's talking about. This is why I believe that. I believe that I will have sufficiency in all things. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now may he he who supplies seed to the sower. God provides seed to who? To the sower. Someone who sows. Farming. Seed time. We're uh, getting ready for planting season. During planting season, that is the time where you're giving, you're sowing. This is not a time that you're reaping. This is a time that you have, uh, I asked a farmer about this and he called these the direct inputs. Where you have certain costs, inputs that you're contributing. This is the cost of your seed, your your herbicide, your and all these it's all these costs into actually the seed itself and producing it. You have direct inputs on the front. Well, this is how I look at money. Money is a seed to me, so I give it now, and I understand the benefit of that seed is going to come later. But I give it with a joyful heart right now, knowing that it will produce fruit in my life. This is what he's talking about. Be someone who's giving and generous because he will supply seed to the sower. God is not trying to just get something from you, he's trying to get something to you so he can get it through you. Some of the increase God brings into my life, he brings it because he knows where I'll put it. He knows that I've set up a system on where I give. And my percentage of that. So if he says, "I want more into that place," he says, "I can give it to Chad because I know a percentage of that will get there." Yeah. That's the only reason he provides seed to the sower. is that he doesn't give seed to the hoarder. They're a pond. Yeah. You ever had been around a pond? We had cattle ponds get that scum over the top of them because there's no water movement. I don't want to be a pond. I want to be a river that flows through. Yeah. Keep it going. keep it coming. He says what well, he goes on to say he'll multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you're enriched in everything for all liberality, all generosity which causes thanksgiving through us to God. He said I'm going to enrich you so that you'll be liberal, so you'll be generous, so you'll be giving. Now now go back to chapter 8 verse 7. I want to close with this verse. But as you abound in everything, this is talking about giving in chapter 8. Read all of that chapter. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Some people abound in us. A- you know, other areas of their relationship with God, but they don't abound in this area. And the reason we put it as a core value, not because it's the only thing, it's one thing that I would teach someone and help them to disciple them to say, if you will honor God in your finances, he will take care of you. He will take care of you. I had a friend of mine take me out one day and took me for a drive. I didn't know where we were going. And goes out here and we, and we come out to this place and, and we pull up to this field and there's like all these pumping oil wells, They're pumping. And he says, you see all these? And I said, yeah, this is awesome. He said, that's because of the tithe. Because we honored God with the tithe. Look at what we have. I don't know if God's going to give you oil wells. It's not about those things. We don't give to get. I don't give so that God will give to me. I don't do that. It has to be a generous heart of worship to say, God, everything that I have is yours. And if I would teach someone this, I I believe at a a young age, if I can teach my kids this, if I could teach a young disciple, said, listen, don't excel in every other area and forget to honor God with your tithes and offerings. You need to excel in a generous heart. See, we live in a society that everybody wants to take, everyone wants to keep. But I believe you need to honor God. And I'm talking about to people who's listening to this, watching this, that don't even go to our church. I would tell this to someone in California that doesn't go. I would say, get involved with your church and tithe to your local church. Don't give me your money. Give your tithe to your local church. Get planted and support the work of God. How else is the work of God going to happen unless the people, all of us, we do our part to support it? I preach it to people because it's the Bible. Not because I need something from you. God wants to get something to you. And some people are trying to push pennies and make everything count and they're struggling financially. You know, if anyone comes to me and they say, hey, pastor, can can you pray for me? I'm really struggling financially. You know what my first question is to them? I'm talking about my first question. Do you tithe? If they don't come to our church, I'd be the first question I ask them, do you tithe? And if they would say no, I'm like, okay. You think you ought to? Let me take you through the Bible." And let's see what it means to put God first. And now somebody may say, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do that. Never going to. Do you realize what my tithe would be? I can't give that much money. We don't have any problem receiving the 90%. Why do we choke on the 10? I'm not doing it as a fundraiser. I'm not doing it because we, I'm doing it to teach a core value that I believe will change your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Because I believe the common need of financial wisdom in our world. You say, what? We can't trust how our government's spending our money. We gotta trust the Bible. And maybe you've never heard it before. I've I've talked to people that they've never heard a teaching on tithing before. So it's totally new to them. And it's totally up to you. You pray about it. You see God. You look at scriptures and and study it out and see what God speaks to you. I'm not trying to push something down your throat. I'm trying to teach something that is a biblical principle that's changed my life that I believe will change yours. It's an invitation. It's not a command. It's not a heavy, oppressive thing. It's an invitation. So would you bow your heads with me? This message is about finances because it affects us all. God's not ignorant of the fact that we have needs, but I want you to have sufficiency. I'm not talking about, see, some people have tried to say that we believe that everybody should be rich. That's, as soon as you can define the word rich for me, then we'll talk about that statement. But the rich term is so subjective. And sometimes the people that have the biggest problem with uh, preaching or teaching about money are the people that have the most money. I don't know if it's because they think they've earned theirs and they don't want to hear anything about how God wants to... I don't know. I'm not going to try and pretend that I know what it is. But I just encourage you to listen to God right now and ask Him this question. God, am I honoring you with my possessions? Am I honoring you with everything that you put into my hand? You have blessed me. Now you say, listen, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. You are blessed compared to people that I have seen. Maybe there's some other financial wisdom. We, you know, get my dollars and cents Teaching or giving God's way, and, and pick that up. And maybe there's some things you need to change on your expense side. Of, there's all kinds of ways. We don't have time to teach all of the practical steps, but I'm telling you, honoring God first is where generosity begins because we want God in our heart. I'm not looking for your dollars. Remember, our dollars don't impress God, our heart does. You could be in a place where you've dropped $2,000 in the offering and the person next to you drops $20 in the offering, and in God's eyes, they may have put in more than you did. He did that with the woman, with a widow woman who came and put in two mites, and Jesus pointed around and said, She gave more than everyone here because she gave out of her livelihood. God measures our giving by what's left over, not by what we give. He's not impressed by how many zeros are behind my number. He's impressed by my heart that says, Lord, I want to give to you because I believe that your blessing will be in my life. Someone give us opportunity to pray. I want you to open up your heart to what God would say to you. If this is an area that you've not excelled in this grace, as 2 Corinthians 8 says. You've not excelled in it. You've Held back for whatever reason. Maybe you were hurt by a church, and you don't trust a church. If you don't trust this church, find a place that you can believe in. Find a place that you believe they walk in integrity and honor, and you sow and honor God with the time. If it's not here, that's fine. That's totally up to you. I'm telling you, this is a principle that needs to go with you in your life. So I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts, not so we can all be rich. That's not the prayer. My prayer is that we will live generously with what we have. If your tithe this morning is $2, you give it and you rejoice. (laughs) You rejoice in God. If someone gives me a $20 bill, I text $2 to God right away. I don't want the tithe in my account. It doesn't matter how small. Father, I pray for your anointing to move on our hearts that we will live generously. Mm, God's reminding me of something right now. Some people listening to this, you need to freely receive. He's taking me back to that for just a second. Thank you, Lord. Some people need to freely receive what God has given you. You're so hard on yourself. You're beating yourself up over things that you've done, what's brought you to this point in your life. You're just hammering yourself. How could I be so stupid? How could I be so stupid? It's stupid. And God says, freely receive my grace and my mercy so that you can freely give it to others. Father, I pray in this church that we will build a culture of generosity, that we will be leaders that are generous in every area of our life as well as our finances. God, we want to freely receive this morning and we want to freely give. Thank you for honoring your part of the bargain that you are rebuking the devour for us. You are taking care of us. You are supplying all of our needs. You, Lord, are doing your part. We just want to honor you with ours today. So Lord, I pray for revelation and understanding that it will be an invitation. It will not be grudgingly or out of obligation, but we will be cheerful in our generosity. When you tell us to buy someone's meal, when you tell us to pay for someone's groceries, when you tell us, Lord, we will just be cheerful and give out of generous heart. God, we pray for more resources to come because you know what we will do with it. We will honor you. We will honor you as a church and as individuals. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.